you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Howdy folks, welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Great Sanders Vigilante Podcast, and in particular, welcome back to the closing episode 7 of our mini-series covering Leading Comics number 3, The Tyrants of Time. Well, we will see the last of that incredulous Dr. Doomy, spoilers for an 80-year-old comic, in this conclusion, we are going to meet the last of our historical heroes, but not necessarily one of the known tyrants. We are going to meet Ulysses. Now, Ulysses is probably best known through the novel written by James Joyce, the Irish novelist, and uh, of the book of the same name, probably one of the greatest unread novels in history. I hope to do it someday. But so far, that has not happened. Now, Odysseus, of course, also known by the Latin variant, Ulysses, is a legendary Greek king of Ithaca and the hero of Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. And, of course, Odyssey also plays a key role in Homer's Iliad in that same epic cycle. Uh, The son of Laertes and Anticlea, and husband of Penelope and the father of Telemachus and Arcusilas. I believe I got that completely wrong. Odysseus is renowned for his intellectual brilliance, guile, and versatility. Known by the epithet Odysseus the Cunning. He is most famous for his Nostos, or the Homecoming, which took him ten eventful years after the decades-long Trojan War, which is basically the, uh, the basis for James Joyce's novel. Course, that has been uh, adapted over several years and probably best known and best loved in the in the film of I believe it was either 1999 or 2000 called Oh Brother Where Art Thou starring the intrepid George Clooney and that uh, has a 1930s basis for the backing of Odysseus just trying to get home and uh, of course that uh, wonderful film is so full of not only great music and wonderful characters but a lot of nods to the uh, to the Homeric and James Joyce literary works. Now Joyce's novel is not a literal uh, retelling of the Odysseus story. It's actually the story of Leopold Bloom in Dublin in around 1904 and there's a lot of parallels between uh, the Homer uh, Odyssey and James Joyce's uh, book of characters. As Milo Bloom effectively takes the role 
of uh, Odysseus or Ulysses in that story. And uh, that's, of course, not, a, <laughs> not the sum total of Ulysses and Joyce. Uh, read it for yourself, folks. I won't do it for you. Now our seven soldiers are going to meet Ulysses at the fall of Troy. Greek mythology, the Trojan War was waged against Troy by the, by the Achaeans, uh, it's another word for the Greeks, after Paris of Troy took Helen uh, from her husband Menelaus, the king of Sparta. This is one of the most events uh, or important events in Greek mythology has been narrated through literature and as I said, Homer's Iliad. So the history of this thing um, is sort of, you, you basically got to believe Homer's Iliad on this sort of a thing as to how this, uh, this Iliad and the uh, Siege of Troy all dovetailed. And it describes a period of four days and two nights, which is the tenth year of the decade-long Siege of Troy. And of course, as I said, Odyssey describes the journey home of Odysseus. So when somebody talks about an Odyssey and using that in literature, as we did in Ulysses and in Brother Murartau, they're basically talking about a guy going home in the midst of a, of a, of a battle. So, you know, a lot of TV shows could take uh, their cue from the Odyssey as well. I'm looking at you, Quantum Leap. I'm looking at you, the Incredible Hulk. And uh, perhaps even Alf. Uh, you know, this is just basically stories of people, fish out of water, who are trying to find their way back to where they belong. And this theme will carry it about somewhat as both Dr. Doomy and the Seven Soldiers need to find out uh, quite where their place in time is. So I don't have too many more notes. It's a very, very short six-page wrap-up, and we'll go right into our drama and I closing thoughts at, towards the end. From sea and forest, from mountain and plain, the Heroic Seven gather for the final phase of their dangerous task. I have heard of your joust with the men of metal. Would that my sword had been with you. Seems to me your sword was pretty busy chopping down those mountains. If we only knew where to look for Dr. Doomy. Attila let a clue slip out. He said something about a tower on Long Island. I have more than a clue. I have seen the tower and can lead you to it. Within the hour, a valiant band converges swiftly on the Tower of Doom. But baleful eyes are watching, and cruel lips are grinning in anticipation. They have come, and I have prepared a fitting welcome for them. As the legionnaires rush towards the doorway. A bomb coming straight for us. I've been keeping my powder dry for a chance like this. It's a dud now. This'll make a nice souvenir. Needle-tipped rods of steel dart like lances from the walls as they enter the lighthouse. He's got us. We can't reach the door in time. Sort of sharpness. 
gift of the mighty Merlin. Fail not now. No enchantment can withstand Merlin's magics. Whew. We owe you and Merlin a vote of thanks, Justin. A panel opens, and the seven soldiers of justice face their resourceful foe at last. So you have escaped my bomb and penetrated my thicket of lances. No matter. They were but tricks to divert you till I could choose a place of retirement. Your combined efforts have served only to delay my plans a little, but I can take my skill and knowledge into the past and work as well there as in this benighted century. I warn you, if you follow me, it will be at your own peril. Let me at him. It's too late. Well, I'll be hornswoggled. He's gone. He's probably thousands of years in the past, partner. Same kind of jigger that made Alexander and his men go back where they came from. The heroes hold a council of war. I'm for following. But if you fellows want to take his warning seriously... I never yet saw an honest crook. He was bluffing. My heart has never quailed at any man's threat. Fearlessly, they plunge into the unknown. Maybe you'd better stay here, Speedy, just in case. Stop making funny jokes and hurry up or I'll run over you. What does it feel like to flash backward through time? A jarring shock sweeps through every fiber of Speedy's small body as he strikes the flaming curtain within the time machine. There is a roaring like that of a tremendous waterfall in his ears. Blackness cloaks him, and he seems to fall a million miles through empty space. Finally, he is stumbling forward once more on firm ground as he opens his eyes and... What? What? Wh wh where? We've landed in the 12th century BC, and this is the famous Siege of Troy. Where's the wooden horse that will smuggle the Greeks into the city? Just as Homer described it. Forsooth, tis a wondrous sight. There is little time to marvel. For a moment later... There are the enemies of whom I warned you. They shall work no treachery here against Ulysses. Slap me with a side-winding diamond back if Doomy hasn't made friends with Ulysses, the Greek general. They have come to plot against you, Ulysses. Seize them, soldiers, and put them to the test. Wonder if the Greeks had a word for this. Aye, that word is sorcery. Biggest bronc I ever wrote. Pardon my high heels and spurs. You are gods from Mount Olympus. No, Ulysses. We are but men who know how to fight. Hold, Golden One. Cease. I would parley with you. I find it hard to believe that warriors so bold and able should stoop to treachery. Your friend Doomy is the treacherous one. You have my knightly oath that we have pursued this varlet because he is a traitor to his country and to his generation. 
Rather would I believe you, wearer of golden armor, than this sniveling wretch. Because you gave false witness, you shall ride with the soldiers in the belly of yon wooden horse into the city. But the wily scientist has his own ideas. What makes you think I intend to remain? I came here to trap my enemies. Now I shall return to my laboratory, leaving them forever. Oh, no, you don't. Huh? He did it after all. Now, what about us? By my beard, this is strange passing. It is a kind of wizardry, Ulysses, by which Dr. Doom makes a jest of the calendar. Looks like you left us in the lurch, sure enough. Without a time machine, how can we get back? Why should you want to leave? Stay. And fight for Ulysses. You shall have riches and honor. Thanks, but our own world is in danger as long as Doomy remains free. We'll have to follow him if we can. Maybe I can help, G.A. In the meantime, the villainous Doomy chortles at his own cleverness. <laughs> A neat trick, if I do say so myself. Now, I can perfect this machine without interference while they wander about in Asia. Suddenly... What? No! No! It can't be! The game's up, Dr. Dewey. Better surrender peacefully. You see, I just happened to take one of our little time rods along. It was as good as a return ticket. You can't stop me without the five medals I needed this machine will blow up. But first, it will project me into my kingdom of the future. Farewell, fools. Come back, Speedy. I don't think he was lying about the explosion. Whoa, what a wind-up. This looks like the end of the job. As the terrible Dr. Doomy succeeded in crashing the forbidden gate of the future, or has he perished in the ruin of his overambitious inventions? All we know surely it is he has departed from our world, never to return. And if he reappears in some distant century, he will find other brave men ready to thwart his evil schemes. For as long as the earth lasts, there will be heroes to fight for justice and decency. Their breed is deathless. Comrades in arms, I give you the pledge of the round table. While tyrants breathe and men congress against their fellows, and greed stalks unleashed, this good right arm shall never falter, nor this good sword be sheathed. We're with you. And so we leave our victorious legionnaires to go their separate ways until another criminal threat to mankind sends them once more along the road of perilous adventure in the next thrilling issue of Leading Comics.
I'm a hussar, I'm a hun, I'm a wretched Englishman, routing upon a part at Waterloo. I'm a dragoon on a dun, I'm a Cossack on the run, I'm a horse soldier, timeless through and through. Well, I was with Custer and the 7th, 76 or 77. Scalped that little big horn by the suit. And the tears and devastation of a once proud warrior nation. This I know, cause I was riding with them too. And I drank mare's blood on the run when I rode with the great con on the frozen Mongol steppe while at his height. And as a white guard, as a red guard, as the czar's own palace horse guard, when Romanov was murdered in the night. And I knew Saladin and rode his swift Arabians, harassing Dune's crusaders on their heavy drafts. And yet I rode the Percheron against the circling Saracen, and once again against myself was cast. Well, I'm a hussar, I'm a hun, I'm a wretched Englishman. Routing Bonaparte at Waterloo. I'm a dragoon on a dun, I'm a Cossack on the run. I'm a horse soldier, timeless through and through. You're silent and you'll listen You'll know that it was with them that I stood When Mary Thorpe, she cried As her four horsemen died Gunned down in scarlet coldest blood Well, I was the firstest with the mostest When I fought for Bedford Forest Suffered General Wilson's Union Raid And mine was not the reason why Mine was but to do or die at Crimea with the charging light brigade On high from Swiss to Sweden Be me Christian, be me heathen The devil to the saber I shall put With a crack flanking maneuver I'm a new land a la super Striking terror into regiment of foot Well I'm a hussar, I'm a hun I'm a wretched Englishman Routing Bonaparte Dragoon on a dun, I'm a Cossack on the run, I'm a horse soldier, timeless through and through. Well, I knew my days were numbered when all the trenches lumbered, more modern machinations de la guerre. No match for rapid fire or the steel birds of the sky with a final rear guard action I retreat. No match for barbed wire or the armored engine's whine. Reluctant, I retire and take my leave. Today I ride with special forces on those wily Afghan horses. The storms know that alliance give their thanks And no matter defeat or victory in battle It occurs to me that we may see a swelling in our ranks Well, I'm a hussar, I'm a hun, I'm a wretched Englishman Routing one apart at Waterloo I'm a dragoon on a dun, I'm a Cossack on the run 
I'm a dragon on a dun. I'm a Cossack on the run. I'm a horse soldier, timeless through and through. I'm a horse soldier, eternal through and through. But wait, folks, there's more, as they say. Of course, what I uh, had promised you was a integration of the All-Star Squadron's retelling of this Seven Soldiers of Victory story uh, from All-Star Squadron 29, January 1984. And uh, Roy Thomas did have a little framing sequence on here, as we uh, had in the... Episode 1 in the beginning here, when Sir Justin is speaking with uh, Sir Winston Churchill. So I think we're going to try to finish off with that little, uh, the end of that little framing sequence, as Roy had put it. Where he, Justin stands once again in mind after musing about this, uh, this adventure. Atop a rooftop in embattled London amid a world gone mad with war. Now what was not in the original story and what he told Churchill was that uh, after leaving Troy with the seven soldiers Dr. Doomy and thank you uh, Professor Middleton for your excellent voice work did contact Justin with an inner voice and I didn't uh, actually ask Professor Middleton to do this. So I'll try to say what happened here. Uh, while they were traveling back from Troy, back to 1942, Sir Justin heard Dr. Doomy's words. They cannot hear me, Sir Justin. Only you can. You alone of these fools share my scorn, my anguish, at the limitations of time and space. Grab the time rod from the boy's hand. Hurl yourself away from them, and I shall use my powers to transport you back to the days of King Arthur, from which I know you were once untimely ripped. No longer will you be a man without an era, a shining knight amid a century of dull peasants. Well, what say you? You've but an instant to decide your fate for the rest of your mortal life. Sir Justin's response... Even if I could trust you to me, I would say thee nay. I renounce you, villain, you and the temptations of time. So we affirm that Sir Justin has quite uh, summarily told Dr. Doomy to pound sand. And as we go back to uh, Justin musing with the uh, Sir Winston, with the Prime Minister. Aye, that is what we called ourselves, the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And now, 
besides those valiant colleagues, you are called as well by your adopted country's president and by the heroes of the All-Star Squadron. I shall miss you, my newfound friend. You have symbolized Britain for me these past weeks, as others have said all I do for them. As I told the British people during the darkest days of 1940, I have nothing to offer you but blood and sweat and toil and tears. Go in peace, and God be with you. You are generous, Mr. Prime Minister, even in adversity. But despite the summons, I choose not to return to America at present. I shall remain in England as long as you in this septed isle have need of me. For once, words fail me, Sir Justin. This is my homeland, sire. Here did Arthur pull forth sword from stone and make himself monarch of a briefly united realm. Aye, and here he did fall years later, betrayed by foe and erstwhile friends alike. Shall I desert this land as well in her hour of need? Look to the skies, Mr. Prime Minister. Only a pitifully few aircraft, scattered armaments, bobbing barrage balloons, stood in the summer of 1940 twixt a murderous madman and his vile dream of world conquest. A dream? Nay, a nightmare, rather but one which well shall end one day. And when it ends, and the war-ravaged world awakens, mayhap with the help of brave, determined men and women of every stripe, a new Camelot shall arise, a better world, be born, phoenix-like, from the ashes of the old. Justin. <clears throat> I hope you won't take it amiss when I say I could not have said it better myself. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase. But then again may have, about a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultraman. Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.com.
www.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. My thanks once again to Professor Alan Middleton. You can find Alan Middleton at his Relatively Speaking podcast network, which carries such shows as the Shortbox Showcase, uh, his quarter bin, his uh, reading journal, his comics reading journal, which he does about mo- on a monthly basis. Uh, there are also other past things that, uh, that Professor Allen has done with his daughter M, such as uh, their Journey into the Bronze Age miniseries. And they also have another miniseries, or series, I should say, podcast rather, called Darkness to Light, which explores religious themes in comics and popular literature. So look out for the uh, intrepid Professor Middleton. He's a great guy. And uh, despite his connections with a certain Eastern European uh, benevolent despot, uh, we love him anyway. And thank you once again, Dr. Middleton. Professor Middleton, sorry. I believe I have elitated you. Thank you, Professor Middleton and Dr. Doom, for the use of your name in this, uh, such as it was in this miniseries. So our conclusion begins, as it always does, with one of the soldiers, uh, always the one from the concluding chapter, who manages to find out the destination and hideout of the main villain of the story. And in this case, we've Crimson Avenger, was able to suss out the location of the lighthouse on Long Island from which Dr. Doomy was utilizing his technologically brilliant but ultimately morally flawed plot. It's too bad that Dr. Doomy, at this point in time, especially at a time of war, wasn't utilizing his powers for good instead of his own self-interests. So there's a siege upon the uh, lighthouse. Doomy, basically relieved of all of his gangsters and his uh, time-tossed allies, has nothing more to throw out than just a good old plain bomb. In the All-Star Squadron adaptation, it's, uh, it's basically a few sticks of dynamite, uh, which Vigilante knows how to deal with right away. He just basically blows off the fuse with a, with a shot from one of his revolvers. And that leads to a siege into the lighthouse. And they catch Dr. Doomy just as he's about to enter into his cavernous time machine, which he no longer can go into the future, but as he says, he can go into the past. So he manages to leave one of these rods behind as he heads into the uh, time machine, which Speedy has found. And by the way, Speedy is probably the hero of this entire adventure. It seems to be him that's taking the initiative. Well, as Doomy disappears into his time machine, uh, the soldiers realize that they can't do anything more than just follow him in there and see where it leads. 
I, I mentioned Speedy's uh, initiative. Green Arrow asks him to stay behind. Speedy basically gives GA the equivalent of go pound sand. So maybe this is the uh, modern day Oliver Queen and Roy Harper. Because that went on a lot between those two. Well, in the wink of an eye, our crew finds itself at the Siege of Troy. Trojan horse and all. They, Ulysses, uh, Dr. Doomy has beat them to the punch in contacting Odysseus and or Ulysses. Uh, it doesn't take much for Green Arrow to shoot the spears out of the, uh, I'll just call them the Greeks' hands, uh, the Achaemenians, I should say. And Vig to uses the, the horse, as he loves to use horses, to take a swing from the nose uh, on a few more other uh, soldiers, as Sir Justin disarms a few others. Having been bested, Ulysses realizes too well that uh, he's probably been lied to by Dr. Doomy, and he realizes who are the heroes and who is the turd here. So as he tells Doomy to get into the Trojan horse, he pulls his old, uh, his old trick, which is now getting a little bit old, of just pushing the button on his on one of his wand and pops into nothingness. Now despite an inv invitation by Ulysses to help them out onto the siege of Troy, the seven soldiers realize that uh, their mission is to get rid of Dr. Doomy. They use the prototype wand that Speedy has brought and next thing you know they're back in the Long Island lab and as, Doc, as the uh, soldiers, particularly the Crimson Avenger, Speedy and the Vigilante, rush out after him, he resets the time machine and he rushes in. There's a big wham! Take a drink. And that's the end of Dr. Doomy. That's the last we see of it. And the ending with the grandiose salute by Sir Justin. And that wraps up our tale. The formula for these seven soldiers of victory stories really concentrate on the beginning and in particular the chapters in between so that we get an idea or the reader gets an idea of who all of the characters are and what they can do. And usually the, the, uh, the conclusion, which never has a title, is usually just what it is, a tie-up, and a uh, way for the soldiers to go back to their own activities, which they do. And of course, you can uh, follow those characters if you have access to Golden Age uh, resources, Star Spangled Kid in Star Spangled Comics, uh, Vigilante in Action Comics, or right here on this podcast, Crimson Avenger in Detective Comics, Green Arrow and Speedy in More Fun Comics, and Long Road Ahead for, for those two characters, and The Shining Knight in Adventure Comics. Not too much to say here, but those who followed the Earth 2 trail through the 70s and 80s, like yours truly, know that uh, Dr. Doomy did have another appearance, and calling it an appearance is probably uh, a little bit grandiose. They were spoken of by the Justice Society of America, 
when uh, in the miniseries called America versus the Justice Society from 1984. And that's the story of when the Golden Age Batman accused the Justice Society of treason and they had to appear before a congressional committee to tell their tale. And in one of their stories, they told of the Time Trust. The Time Trust was a rough alliance of scientists who were working on their own um, inventions and uh, studies in time. Uh, they included Professor Everson, who went on to develop his time ray, and in 1944 used it to go into the past to straighten out a doomed man's life. There was Professor Z, who worked on a time beam as well, which the Justice Society uh, tried to help out with. A Dr. Burnley, a Dr. Swanley, who invented a time, sort of time shoot, which figured in one of the last Justice Society cases in 1950, uh, when the JSA used it to solve his murder by an envious colleague. And speaking of an envious colleague, another unofficial member of this time trust was Per Dagaton. And if you're listening to this podcast and you know of just the Justice Society and all of their various iterations, we know of Per Dagaton as that lab assistant who stole some of Professor Z's technology and went on various rampages through time. One of them, of course, creating the All-Star Squadron in uh, 1981, uh, retroactively, though, in 1941. And Hawkman in this tale that he relates to Congress also tells of another character that was on the Time Trust Project, a Dr. Doomy. And in a few pages later, or in another chapter of this America vs. Justice Society, we even get a first name. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Wilfred Doomy. So there you go, Wilfred Doomy. But as far as that goes, that's his last appearance anywhere. And America vs. the Justice Society, as I said, was a uh, several-part miniseries. I believe it was four chapters. Uh, but it has been collected as America vs. the Justice Society. And you can get that in a softcover trade paperback. By the way, it's a lot of reading. Uh, if You'll need some glasses to read it, but it is very entertaining, although it is a kind of a, a bit of a clumsy uh, story all in all. But it's uh, if you're an Earth 2 fan, it is essential reading. So before I close, uh, upcoming, naturally, we will just continue to roll along with our indexing of the Action Comics appearances of the Vigilante and our, our next episode uh, which shouldn't be coming out in too long. I've got a bit of time right now. Uh, we'll tell the story from Action Comics 52. And uh, that's going to be a different kind of a story. I'm, I'm looking forward to relating this, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity to do a little housekeeping and clean out the mailbox from vigilantecast at gmail.com as David McElveney did on our last full Vigilante chapter, Guns, Gold, and Glory. And Dave writes, 
Greetings, Ranger Gord. It was interesting to have a story with Vigilante returning to his hometown. I enjoyed seeing that both Gray Sanders and Vigilante are well regarded there, since sometimes in those situations we get a story where the hero, in one or both guises, is not necessarily well regarded by those he left behind. I was gratified, as always, to see that once again Vidge's super spurs saved the day. Certainly even Batman's utility gadgets have nothing on Vidge's spurs. Those things are truly amazing. I pray the bad guys never figure out how, that they should remove those spurs whenever they inv inevitably capture him. The old vigilantes were comic relief to some extent, but I was also, we also see that they were willing to get into the fray and fight for the right, and that must be respected. I think your attempt to pin down Avalanche City as a real town in Wyoming was likely doomed to failure from the outset. The hometowns of DC heroes were deliberately not specific places. I suspect that this was deliberate so that the kids reading his stories might imagine them to be someplace they knew or maybe dreamed of seeing. Superman's metropolis in the early days could have been an American city, maybe Cleveland, home of Siegel or Schuster, or New York, or whatever city the individual readers knew best which could also be true of Gotham City or Keystone City or any other place in the DC stories. I should point out that there seemed to be a little hiccup in the audio for this episode. At one point you were about to describe what stuff was wearing, but at least as I was listening suddenly you were talking about stuff running around and pumping hands all over the place, so I never did hear what stuff was wearing. Not a criticism, just wanted you to be aware. As always, thanks for a fun adventure. And thanks, too, for the music, particularly Chris Ledoux's My Sweet Wyoming Home. Live long and prosper, Dave. And that's my verbatim letter. I didn't do any interruptions at this point in time. Other than the comments about the audio, and thank you, Dave, for letting me know about that. You're always so prompt with your emails that I'm able to usually get back in and fix what was wrong and repost the episode before that happens. So thanks again. Um, for being my editor there, Dave, and, and also for being such a great pen pal. And when I say pen pal, I mean Dave writes pen, with a pen and a postcard and mails them in real, real post offices. And yes, going back to the fictional towns, I just thought it was a bit of a fun exercise. And uh, there are always uh, drawbacks and advantages to fictional towns and cities within comics. Sometimes uh, there are good reasons to, to do it, but you have to be careful about dating yourself. I can imagine how many times you go back to, say, 1970s, uh, say the Fantastic Four or Spider-Man, where they're talking about the particular mayor of New York City or some particularly, you know, world event that's going on right now. And that's fine. That's great. Um, but when you get about 30 or 40 years later, people might uh, either wonder about that or wonder, uh, gee, just how old Spider-Man or Reed Richards is supposed to be. But as uh, Michael Bailey always says, because comics. In the podcast world, I'd like to acknowledge all the, well, some of the people I... I don't know if I have any way of knowing. 
um, who's been mentioning uh, Prairie Justice. Uh, but as always, uh, Rob Kelly and Shag and Chris Franklin on their various shows on the Firewater Network. By the way, uh, Chris and Cindy Franklin's JLU cast is now going to be start to be get into the Justice League Unlimited series. And we will likely be hearing about uh, not only Vigilante, but also Shining Knight and a few of the other seven soldiers within that cast as well. So definitely check out JLU cast. I also thank uh, Billy D, also known as Doc Strange on Twitter, uh, for his uh, complimentary chatting about uh, this podcast on his own podcast about the All-Star Squadron, which is called A World on Fire, which is now approaching, getting very close uh, to All-Star Squadron 50. I don't know what you have planned for once you get past that because uh, those are going to be some crazy, crazy stories and they're going to do some strange things to uh, to the continuity that we love. Uh, also, thanks to Max and Rich over on the Weird Warriors podcast as well. Thanks to Mark Gray for being the cheerleader and to Tim from the Batman and the Outcasters podcast, which I believe runs somewhere in some way on the Batgirl and Huntress network or Batgirl Huntress podcast on the Yes on a network. Many thanks to all on Facebook and, and Twitter for the, uh, for the great things that you have said about Prairie Justice. And uh, thank you for your feedback. And uh, that's about all I have to say. I think I'm going to wrap up. Thank you once again for toughing out another Seven Soldiers of Victory miniseries. Hey, we're a quarter of the way through them, folks. So, bye for now. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a little cowboy singing western tunes Singing songs that he learned as a child All about the west back when it was wild well, So long partners, you've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast all materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. The stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at .wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Because he's the last.